Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 211 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week, as always, by the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Not so great this week, to be honest. Battling a bit of a viral infection, so I've got the tissues next to me. Um, it's been a few days now, actually. I feel like it's slowly getting better, ever so slowly. Hopefully my voice doesn't annoy everyone if it's if it's a bit stuffy. If you can detect that, I'm not quite sure. Hopefully, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good enough to listen to. Um, but yeah, anyway, moving on to the review part of the show. Forget about me. Let's start here at the Allianz Cloud in Milan, Italy. Obviously, this one was a defense of Francesco Patera's EBU European lightweight title. 22-3 and his record going in. He took on the... Um, the, you know, the the real good amateur, I think he went to the Olympics, it might have even been on three occasions, you know, he turned pro real late, Domenico Valentino, good amateur, I think I said on last week's show, he beat Josh Taylor in the amateurs, um, perfect record as I say, 8-0, and um, he challenged Patera, but actually Valentino was down in the 12th and final round and he lost a real lopsided uh, unanimous decision over 12 rounds. So brilliant win there for Patera, who seems like he's almost a little bit rejuvenated, you know, since he stepped up to European level. Um, he's he's really found another gear. So I'm, I'm, I'm slowly kind of getting on that gravy train now. I like Patera quite a bit. Uh, moving out now to Thailand. This one, of course, last Friday at the City Hall ground in Chomburi. Cheofon Moonsri now 54-0. and A unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Simpiwi Konko. Of course, the defense there of Moonsri's WBC um, world minimum weight title. Also, his opponent Konko was down in the seventh round. But he got back up. Unanimous decision, like I say, over 12. Conco now 19-6. and six. And Moonsri just defying, defying the odds, really, there. 54-0. and 0. The real Mayweather lives in Thailand. Moving out now, though, to Kazakhstan. One fight to mention over here. At the Balawan Shalek Sports Palace in Almaty. Kana Islam, a fighter who, you know, has, has remained undefeated. He's... He's kind of been reluctant for some reason to step up. I don't know if it's if it's you know situations promotionally that's holding him back, but very good fighter by all accounts. Twenty six and zero. He took on Walter Kauton Dokwa, former opponent of Demetrius Andrade. Um, Kauton Dokwa lost a, a points decision over ten rounds, but I've heard that. Apparently, he may have even been robbed or the scorecards were really wide. I didn't catch any footage of it, but um, I'd like to try and find out a bit more. So if anyone's listening and they know uh, what happened in that fight, let us know. Because that that um, received some bad publicity afterwards. Kauton Dokwa, not a bad fighter in all honesty, even though he got smashed by Andrade. Um, so Kenat Islam now 27-0 on paper. Um, obviously a defense area of his WBO international middleweight title. Um 
Moving out now to Poland. One fight to mention that took place last Saturday at the Hala Sportowa Zeromskigo 9. Boy, oh boy. A friend of the show, actually, Arta Spilka. He returned back after being knocked out brutally by uh, by Derek Chisora. He's now 23-4. and four. He got a knockout of his own in the very first round against Fabio Tuach, who's, who's now 29-7. Um, and seven. Also on that bill, Tony Avalant got, got TKO'd, former opponent of, of Anthony Yard, obviously. He got TKO'd by Marek Maciger. Uh, but yeah, anyway, leaving Poland there, moving out now to the big one, the big one, of course, the O2 Arena, Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. I'm going to be coming to you, Ayaz. Let's start, though, with the undercard. A win for Shannon Courtenay now, 4-0. Um, I thought it was Courtenay, but then I'm hearing it's just Shannon Courtney, so a, a bit confused. But anyway, now 4-0, a points win over 4 against Jasmine and Nad, who had a losing record 11-22, now 11-23 with 5 draws. Uh, Abbas Barrow, he got a TKO win against John O'Donnell. So Abbas Barrow now 8-0. It was a defense of his WBC International Super Welterweight title. Uh, Connor Benayaz moved to 16-0. A, a defense of his WBA Continental Welterweight title against late replacement Steve Jamoy. Um, Steve Jamoy got TKO'd in four rounds. You know, he didn't have loads and loads of notice, but... On paper, it was a big step up, even though he didn't have the notice. I thought he might ask a couple questions of Conor Ben, but to be honest, he didn't really. I mean, he, he landed a couple of decent shots, to be honest, Jumoy, but um, they were few and far between, and Conor Ben just had too much firepower for him. Uh, Jumoy now 26-8 and eight with two draws, but I feel like Ben just had... You know, he just had something in his game there on on Saturday night that we perhaps hadn't seen before. Um, He showed a a few little dynamics to his game, a bit different, his style. You know, he he was boxing nicely, boxing smoothly, which a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't really say that about Ben in previous fights. Not really a smooth boxer. Um, He did have a point deducted for a low blow in the fourth round. And, of course, Jamoy was down prior to the stoppage in the fourth. Um, Also on the bill, Yves Ngarbu, the European EBU champion. He put his belt on the line against our very own Lawrence Ocoli. Lawrence Ocoli managed to get the seventh round TKO in a fight that lacked a bit of um, excitement, really. Once again, Lawrence Ocoli, um, you know, managed to, to get the win, of course. That's all that matters, but it's just a shame, really, because... You know, he's known as Lawrence TKO, and he does get the knockout. You know, he's a big guy, massive, massive cruiserweight, can really bang. But all the tying up, I mean, it's not going to go down well, and it hasn't been received well. But for the most part, he's a he's a tough guy. He's a good fighter, and it kind of works. You know, it's it's it's. I'm I'm kind of starting to think it's a little bit strategic now from from Lawrence Ocoli rather than just a bad habit. Um, now 14 and 0, and the new European cruiserweight champion. So there's only really one more level from European, and that of course is to go on to world level. That's where I want to see Lawrence Ocoli in the near future. I don't want to see too many marking time fights really. Um, also on the bill, Ricky Burns against Lee Selby. It ended up being a majority decision after 12 rounds in favour of the Welshman, Lee Selby, friend of the show. I was pleased for him. Um, you know, Ricky Burns put up a good fight. We knew, we knew. He's a tough, tough guy going into that fight. Um, it was a last chance saloon kind of fight for both guys. Uh, I mean, I didn't watch all of the IFL interview with Ricky Burns where he got quite emotional. I think he started crying in the interview. I didn't watch it all. I saw a little clip, and it's hard to read, you know, if he wants to continue or not. 
um, after that. But again, I feel like he should really hang him up. Um, you know, easily Scot- Scotland's best fighter of all times um, in terms of boxing. And yeah, I, I don't think he should go on too much longer. I think that's 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 probably where he should where he should end it. You know, he, he boxed Lee Selby. Lee Selby hasn't really looked his former self since moving up to lightweight. Didn't look great against Douglas. Fair enough, he got cut. And to be honest, he didn't look that great in this fight here. It was a bit too close for my liking. And I don't think you're going to get, you know, a, a better opportunity to beat a fighter that is well known slash kind of world level than Lee Selby and I'm being you know I'm I'm being really fair there I don't think he's going to beat a guy that's above Lee Selby now in terms of rankings or in terms of name so what's the point fighting guys at a lower level um that you may even lose to you know I think that's it for Ricky Burns don't tarnish your 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 exceptional resume you've been a real good servant to the sport of boxing my friend uh moving up the bill once again Derek Chisora got the KO in the fourth round against David Price I as we called it so did the listeners a bit of a formality to be honest uh David Price didn't have all the notice it was for the vacant WBO intercontinental heavyweight title Price down in the fourth round um yeah what we expected to be honest I as if we're if we're being brutally honest. I mean, everyone knew that David Price was going to get knocked down, obviously. I think it's time for him to hang up the gloves. I mean, well done to Derek Chisora and this on, onwards and upwards for him now. They're talking about the Usyk fight. Um, you know, we, we all think that Usyk has got the potential to be a to be a world champion at heavyweight after what he did at cruiserweight. And I, I, always, I always really do respect what Adam Booth says. So when he says something, I pay attention and I... I kind of think, hmm, you know, um, it sticks with me. I kind of, I barely ever disagree with Adam Booth. I think he gets a lot of things spot on, to be honest. But he said something, I believe. I think he said that Chisora would ask questions of Usyk. I like the word in there because it doesn't mean he'd beat him. It doesn't mean he'd come close to beating him. But he would put that pressure on Usyk, you know, the pressure that we haven't seen before. You know, he'd, he'd put his weight on Usyk. He'd try and lean on him. He'd try and push him back. He's got that. You know, that rock-solid chin. I couldn't really see Usyk stopping Chisora. So, I kind of... I think I think he's nailed that as well, Adam Booth. I think Chisora does ask questions of him. Um, I think Usyk wins it hands down. But I feel like it could be quite interesting, perhaps. Um, perhaps not, though. You know, perhaps not. Because he's a mover, Usyk. And Chisora doesn't doesn't really bode well with a, with a mover. We've seen that before. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the fight against Price, you know... From the very first bell, Chisora was straight out, straight out the the blocks, you know, putting the pressure on. Price landed one or two nice shots, but he was easily outworked in the first. You know, Chisora, Chisora clearly won the round. Again, round two, another Chisora round. It was a bit scrappy. We all kind of favoured Chisora so massively going in. And I was starting to think, though, something kind of hit me. Who is Chisora's best win? You know, you'd probably say Takam. You know, he was losing every single second of the fight until Takan walked on to a big overhand right. I mean, on paper, yeah, that's that's his best name. But an actual win where he dominated and got the knockout or... I mean, it's, it's probably Malik Scott, in all fairness. It probably is Malik Scott. And, you know, I just I just felt, even though we were favouring Chisora so massively, is he, is he really light years above of Price? You know, all of um, Price's big fights he's lost and all of Chisora's big fights he's lost, you know? So... I was starting to think maybe it's a bit closer than what, what, what some people thought. But anyways, Price has obviously got that pedigree, which seems to have just vanished. But, you know, he's got way more pedigree and experience than Chisora. Uh, the third round, again, Chisora started loading up with the hooks. He started getting through with the left hook especially. And at the very dying seconds, that was where Chisora started pummeling Price. And, you know, he had Price 
looking out on his feet, to be honest, and he ended up actually taking a big right uppercut on the chin, and Chisora's legs dipped himself, and... Um, even after you know, even after landing the shot, Price because it was just like Price was getting attacked, and he just thought, "I'm just going to throw this big <laughs> supersonic right uppercut," and it landed flush. But obviously, Chisora's got a great beard, and uh, even after he landed it, Price's legs went a bit wobbly from throwing the shot. You know, he was really out on his feet. He got saved by the bell, in my opinion. And then, like I say, when he came out in the fourth round, he was down. He got caught with a big shot high on the temple, and he lost his balance, and he was all over the place before you know, before going down about two seconds later. So it was a little bit of a delayed kind of reaction, perhaps. Um, he did beat the count, but when he got back up, he was unsteady on his legs. And, you know, I'm with the corner for, for doing the right thing and throwing the towel in immediately. So, yeah, no real shock in terms of the actual overall result. Uh, moving up the card once again, uh, the main event, actually, I I'm going to come to you on this. Josh Taylor, 15-0, and going in against the undefeated Regis Progre, 24-0. Both men friends of the show. It, of course, was for the WBA, IBF, and the Ring uh, World Super Lightweight titles. Um, we all thought it was going to be a brilliant, brilliant fight going into it, and it, it really did play up to the expectations. What can I say? Wow, what a fight it was from the start to the end. Of, from the first fight, for the first six rounds, it was Regis Proskis winning the rounds. I had, obviously, Regis Proskis, like, he's bobbing and weaving, he's jabbing, obviously. And then towards, uh, after the sixth round, it was all Josh Taylor. Um, Josh Taylor, obviously, like, he hit him with a right hand. For me, uh, this was a proper, proper boxing match. Obviously, sometimes you just get a slugfest. But this, for me, this was a, a proper boxing match. Obviously, two fighters, two both world champions. And obviously, you can, Josh Taylor, obviously, he's, for me, I think he's, at the moment, uh, British boxing star at the moment, number one for pound for pound for British, number one at the moment, current. Um, obviously, with, jo- with Josh Taylor, he used he was used working the jab, using the body, he was pivoting right, left, right, left, back, forth. He hit Regis Progress at times, right? He hit Regis Progress a couple of times with, uh, with the right hand as well. And Regis Progress still didn't go down. And off the, uh, uh, from, from this round six to round 12, I had Josh Taylor winning it. But what a, what, a, what a great fight for Josh. I mean, it's a brilliant win for him. And obviously, you can tell at the end of the fight, like he was, he, he had his eye, his left eye was closed. Regis Progress' left eye was all swollen up. But I mean, it's a brilliant win for Josh Taylor. And well done for him. And I think he's going to go up. Um, there was a room, I was just, I read someone on Twitter, like Javonna Davis calling him up at 140. That's the fight I would love to see. Yeah, um, I, I mean, <laughs> that'd be a funny fight, but I doubt it happens. I think Josh Taylor should try and unify you know, all of the belts for the undisputed, the undisputed fight with, uh, with, with Jose Ramirez, then of course, if he were to win that, then there's nowhere else to go, but to move up to welterweight. And I feel like he'd give a few fighters up there some, some hell as well. You know, he's big for 140, but, um, the fight itself, I will just give my, my breakdown of it. Um, firstly, scorecards were all over the place. So even though I feel like I'm closer to Regis, definitely closer to Regis than I am, Josh Taylor. So a bit of me thought I might perhaps start favouring um, Regis on the scorecards. So again, my scorecard was so different to, to, to what Sky had. They had Regis Progray in front for, for, for you know for quite a while, the early rounds especially, and I completely didn't agree with it. So here's how I saw it anyway. Um, you know, the first round, both men came out. It was a little bit cagey, as I thought it'd be. Both men were having a look. For the first minute, nothing really landed. No one really threw anything with, with, with any kind of mean mean behind it. Um, 
I felt like both men had tiny moments. It was a close round because not much happened, but I felt Pro Grey just just outworked Taylor real narrowly. Second round, such a high quality round. Taylor was starting to open up. Um, not too much was landing clean, but you felt that Taylor's efforts might just catch the the eyes of the judges. Uh, Pro Grey did get through with a nice couple of uppercuts too, but again, Josh Taylor for me nicked the round. Um, 1-1, going into the third round, a real close round, I felt like Taylor started well, Pro Grey I felt started to take over, but then Taylor landed a nice couple of shots right before the bell that might have just snatched in the round, there was a big argument for me for a 10-10 round, but without doing that, trying to avoid it, I had it 2-1 to Taylor, so that was a Taylor round for me, fourth round, certainly a Pro Grey round, quite clear to be honest, he started to really get in his groove, he was throwing his jabs, they were lovely, he was using terrific head movement, he landed some lovely body shots and head shots, so I had it 2-2 after four, um, the fifth round was a Taylor round for me. He outworked Pro Grey. He didn't land everything, but he definitely poured more into the round, I felt, in terms of aggression. Um, so I gave that one to Taylor. The sixth round, again, I felt like I was being a bit controversial because I gave that round to Taylor, and not many people did. I felt like it was a big round for Taylor. So I had it 4-2 um, after after six rounds. The seventh round, again, I gave it to Taylor. Um, you know, the previous round and this seventh round was where I felt Taylor really started to put Pro Grey on the back foot for the first time in the fight. So I had it 5-2 Taylor after seven, after seven rounds. In the eighth round, again, I thought that the... You know the commentary was quite shocking. They were they were complimenting Taylor in this round, and he wasn't really doing anything. He didn't land a shot for the first seventy seconds of the round. And for me, it was a clear Pro Grey round. I felt like maybe I was crazy. Um, Pro Grey also did land a thunderbolt that that um, Taylor walked right into. So definitely a Regis Pro Grey round, but a- another one that I disagreed with the commentary on. I think they gave that one to Taylor. Um, so again, five three after eight for Taylor. The ninth round, I gave it to Taylor, so 6-3 to me, uh, or to me, <laughs> to Taylor. Uh, the tenth round, I felt like Pro Grey was visibly fatigued. Taylor started showing a tremendous chin, um, as was Pro Grey, to be honest. But ever since Pro Grey was, was pushed back and put on that back foot earlier in the rounds, he really did lose an edge in his game. Um, it seemed like that was, you know, that was the way to, to kind of keep him off his game. You know, he was second best when he was on the back foot. Uh, as was Taylor, to be honest, because when Regis was coming forward, it kind of worked both ways, you know. Wh- whichever man was coming forward, I felt was probably winning the rounds, really. Um, and it's not always like that, you know. You've, you, it's not always like that. Some people might be watching it for the first time, and they might think the, the guy who's coming forward, the aggressor's always winning the round. It's not always like that. Again, I gave it to Taylor, though, so 7-3 I had it going into the final two rounds. So Pro Grey way behind on my card. Uh, the 11th round, again, Pro Grey, he, he seemed to get a second wind. Um, Carl Froch said it was one of the best rounds of the year. I wasn't too sure about that. Um, I did give the round to to Regis Pro Grey. I do just want to say, though, that I, I got two hours sleep the night before the fight. Uh, so maybe maybe my scoring was a bit off, I felt, perhaps at this stage, before I'd seen the final the final scorecards from everyone else. Uh, finally, the commentary team acknowledged the terrible eye damage of, of Taylor's right eye. Um, you know, they were, they were talking about Progray's eye for many rounds, saying it was really bad, it was really bad, whereas Taylor's eye was, was ten times worse. It was closed, as you said, Iaz. And the twelfth and final round, it was an unbelievable round. I mean, Progray won it clearly for me. It was, it was an incredible round. Two Warriors, in my opinion, the true two best in the, in the division. 
Um, you know, Ramirez, I think, is number three. I, I don't think he's anywhere near number one and two, though. I don't think he would have even managed to go 12 rounds with either man. But in the end, I did have it 7-5 to Taylor, so 115-113. Um, yeah, you know, Progray winning the 11th and 12th. Both of those rounds, I felt like he was the man coming forward once again. Um, yeah. I felt like, as I, as I said a minute ago, the man that was coming forward seemed to win. If 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 Progre was coming forward, he 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 wasn't giving up a round. Whereas if he was going backwards, he was perhaps giving away rounds. Um, yeah, one judge, I think it was the Italian judge, gave it to to Taylor by five. I I can't understand that. I really liked the honesty as well from Shane McGuigan in the post-fight interview when he said, you know. It was it was a real close fight. We had Taylor up by one going into the last round. He didn't say what his final scorecard is. He would have said, I'm sure, oh yeah, uh, you know, if Taylor won that last round, then he would have said, oh yeah, we, we won it by two, just like I had it. But he went out of his way to say that Taylor was winning. Um, we had him one up going into the last round. So in my, in my eyes anyway, Progre won the last round. A lot of people agree with me on that. So I think... I think Shane McGuigan accidentally gave away the fact that he thought it was a draw. So um, I, I appreciate his honesty, even if he didn't think it was a draw, even if he had Taylor um, getting the 12th round as well, then it's just by two. It's not, you know, it's, it's quite fair. That's how I, I saw it. He wasn't being biased. And I respect McGuigan because he does that a lot. He's very honest, very, very true to his word. Um, yeah, the the final couple of bills to mention. This one took place at the Reno Sparks Convention Center in Nevada, USA. Uh, firstly, Joshua Greer Jr., he managed to, to scrape out a very, very close unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Antonio Nieves, now 19-3 and three with two draws. Joshua Greer Jr., now 22-1 and one with one draw. It was for the WBC Continental America's Bantamweight title and, and the WBO NABO Bantamweight title. Um... Yeah, very close fight, actually. Very close fight. Um, I feel like he probably just did enough, but, yeah, a bit too close for my liking, really, with Nieves, you know, especially if Greer wants to go on to become a world champion. He's a friend of the show, I'm being honest, with with the guy in my assessment there. Uh, Michaela Meyer, she also picked up a win, 12-0 and now, a, a retirement win. Her opponent, Alejandra Zamora, retired after six rounds in the corner. Her record now, 7-4, and four, very much overmatched. It was for the NABF female super featherweight title. And the main event, Shakur Stevenson, friend of the show, he's now the new WBO world featherweight champion, 13-0. and 0. Um, A unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Joet Gonzalez, who's now 23 and one. Joet Gonzalez wasn't a bad fighter. He's not a bad fighter. Um, but he just wasn't on Shakur's level. And to be honest, I don't think he was he was world level. You know, I don't really understand how how I mean Shakur's Shakur's been blowing people away. He deserves to be right up there, in my opinion. But to think they were number one and number two, I believe, I feel like the WBO haven't got the right guys ranked number one and two. I don't think that that there's you know they were the two best the the two best fighters without belts in in that division Shakur definitely definitely but Joe Gonzalez I've got no idea how he got such a high ranking um, I'm gonna be honest I I fell asleep during this fight I think uh, no one told me the clocks went back so I had no idea why I was so tired uh, during the fight I think I fell asleep about round three something like that so I didn't bother watching the rest of it I heard it was very much like the first couple rounds that I saw, you know, Shakur looked sharp, he won, he won the rounds nicely, 
I, I could see that the pair didn't, they obviously didn't respect each other outside of the ring, but it was evident straight away that they did have respect for each other inside the ring. Um, Shakur started to lay down his marker, I felt, in, in the second round. He wasn't getting involved too much. He was happy to just pick Gonzalez off from distance. It was good work. It was smart work. And like I say, I think it was pretty much the same thing every round from that point. A clear winner, Stevenson. Um, just seemed to be one step ahead of Gonzalez at all times in the fight, from what I saw. So, uh the final scorecards, 11 rounds to one in favor of Stevenson. Friend of the show, very, very pleased for him. And the final bill to mention of... No, there's two. The final two bills to mention. This one at the Santander Arena in Pennsylvania. Uh, Robert Easter Jr. picked up a win now, 22-1 and one with one draw. Friend of the show, he got a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Adrian Granados. The tough, tough guy, Granados. Uh, now 20-8 and eight with two draws. But to be fair, Robert Easter Jr., he moved up to 140 as well for this fight, I believe. And um, he won quite clear. He, he got a complete shutout on one card. And the other couple cards had it 7-3-8 and eight too. So not everyone wins it that clear against Granados. So that's quite impressive for me if the scorecards did really match the fight. Uh, Erickson Lubin, 22-1 and one now. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Nathaniel Gallimore. I expected Lubin to to win wide or get the stoppage. He did win wide, nine rounds to one. The the scorecards all unanimous there. Um, and the final bill that took place at the Avalon in Hollywood, California, USA, Sergei Boachuk. I think that's how I said. Very good amateur he was. He's now, um, he's now promoted by Triple G, and he boxed on a Triple G promotions card. Uh, it was for the vacant WBC Continental America's Super Welterweight title. Bohachuk, definitely one to watch. Uh, he's now 16-0 with 16 KOs. He knocked out in four rounds the real big punch in Tyrone Brunson, who's now 28-8 and with two draws. Brunson was down uh, once in the third round and... Uh, two times, I think, in the fourth round, but he looks really good, Boachuk. Like I say, real good amateur. I can't remember who he beat in the amateurs. A few big names, though. And, um, yeah, he's with Triple G, so I think he, he may be going right to the top in that in that 154 division. Big, big fights for him down the line. 100% KO knockout ratio. Um, but that's everything for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is, of course, to mention or to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated IBF number one rated lightweight in the world. It is, of course, Mr. Tiafimo Lopez. Tio, welcome back on the show, my friend. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's great to have you back, Tio. So we last spoke back in February. Uh, it was just after the Magdaleno win. Obviously, since then, you've had the two wins over Edis Tatley and, of course, uh, Masayoshi Nakatani. However, just because you didn't stop Nakatani, some people decided to just start criticizing you. This resulted in you, of course, tweeting. Um, you, you tweeted something like, and just like that, you ain't nothing anymore. Did it bother you, Tio, in any way to see people criticizing you really for the first time, just for purely not getting a knockout against an undefeated fighter? Uh, you can't please everybody, and I know that. That's not really it. It was just things that I was going through in, uh, in camp, you know, but we're past it now. You know, now it's just looking forward to December 14th, man. And, you know, people are going to talk, 
we can't satisfy everybody, but I was happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, not quite sure why why people criticize. I mean, you basically shut the guy out. He was undefeated. Just because he's not a big name doesn't mean you know he wasn't a good fighter. But as we know, boxing fans sometimes have got have got short memories. But anyway, after that, you decided to come over. You, just, <laughs> you decided to come over and visit London, Tio. What did you What did you make of my city? How long were you here for? <laughs> Uh, I was, I know, yeah, London's beautiful, man. I wish I had stayed longer. You know, um, I was just there for the day. Uh, you know, I believe it was the day of the weigh-ins that, uh, for Luke Campbell and Lomachenko. Um, I decided to take the trip with my wife. Uh, she was actually working that flight, so I decided to go with her. And, uh, and you know, we, we, we explored London. We went to go see the Queen's, uh, the Queen's Castle and everything, the Queen's House. Uh, it was beautiful, you know, and I I just enjoyed it. And I definitely was thinking about, you know, I need to go and fight. <laughs> if I could, man, I would have would have tried to get under in that card and you know had a fight of my own there. <laughs> it was beautiful though. Excellent, man. Excellent. So on to the next one. You'll be boxing Richard Comey for his IBF World Title on December fourteenth at the MSG. Uh, what do you know about your opponent, firstly? Because we know him over here, you know, pretty well as British boxing fans. But uh, what do you know about your man over there? Oh, uh, Richard Comey, he's a tough fighter. He has all the experience, you know. He's a decorated fighter, man. He's very um, very talented. You know, he's very strong. That's Everybody knows that. He's very powerful in the lightweight division. I am facing the toughest uh, puncher uh, in the 135 lightweight division, and I'm just um, excited about it all, you know, because this is where I get to – not only shut up the critics, but to prove to all the fans and to my fans that Teofimo is taking over, and I am the I am the next best thing in boxing, you know. And hopefully after this, you know, we make the Loma fight happen, and it's gonna be great. And you mentioned there, you know, he's a hard puncher. Um, you know, you're a hard puncher. I feel like you've probably got the better skills and the timing. But in terms of the odds over here, you're a slight, slight, slight favorite. Do you anticipate this this fight being the toughest of your pro career thus far? Every fight is tough, and I believe this one right here is the toughest, toughest to date. Yes, it is the toughest fight of my career to date. And obviously, you can see it through records. You know. Um, Chikome is a well, well, well trained fighter and he's very strong and I know that it's gonna be it's gonna take a lot of a lot of training and a lot of things for us to beat him. But that's what we're doing now in camp. Yeah, no, a very good fighter, Richard Comey. I think his two losses were real, real close. They could have gone either way. So, um, you know, some people would say he's still undefeated, perhaps. But you mentioned there about Lomachenko. He's recently been branded a WBC franchise champion. What's your take on this whole franchise scenario, Tia? I think that uh, the whole thing with the franchise, WBC thing, uh, I think it's a lot of BS, you know, if you want to ask me. But, uh, you know, now Devin Haney's the WBC world champion um, on record, you know. <laughs> but uh, I still see my, I still see Lomachenko as the WBC world champion. Uh, he rightfully won the belt against Luke Campbell. And, you know, um, when we do fight, I'm still going to say that I was and I am the unified world champion. 
And you mentioned there about Devin Haney. I mean, you know, he's been made now full WBC champion without actually having to fight for the belt itself. Um, some people are kind of looking at that scenario and they're saying, yeah, it's great, he's a world champion, but he was kind of robbed of that moment after a hard fight where you'd hear the words and the new. Um, you're going to get your, your, your chance to become and the new. If you were ever awarded a title, though, without fighting for it, would you, would you feel satisfied by that? Absolutely not. But that's me. You know, every fighter, every every person, every athlete have has a different way of doing things. Me, I don't like anything being given to myself. I like to earn them, and that's how it's always been through through the amateurs throughout my whole life without boxing. You know, I always had to earn things, and that's just the way I was brought up. And you know, but you know, I congratulated uh, Devin Haney on Twitter. You know, and told him congratulations. And to, I'll see him soon. You know, eventually in the rankings and in the near future, we'll eventually meet up. But as of right now, my main focus is uh, December 14th against Gucci Kome. Absolutely. And uh, coming down to the last couple of questions, really, Tio, I want to see if you if you managed to watch the fight that happened on the weekend. Obviously, the weight above yourself, Pro Gray and Taylor. Did you happen to see it at all? No, 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 I didn't. But I heard it was a great fight. I heard that it was very competitive. But I heard that Taylor outboxed and he did what he had to do to become victorious and to win the Ali Trophy along with the IBF to and the WBA belts. Um, and now we have two fighters in the 140 division that could possibly match up next year to fight for all four belts. You know, I think it's great. I think it's good to hear those things. Yeah, absolutely. And just finally, if you want to give it to us, you can. If not, then that's absolutely fine. Have you got any kind of prediction for your fight come come December 14th? Obviously, you're both massive punchers. Does this fight go the distance? Does it end inside the distance? What can you tell us, Tia? I don't see this fight going the distance for either one of us. So I believe that it definitely is one to watch. Uh, somebody will go down and... The whole thing now is just for everybody to wait and watch December 14th. Uh, I definitely see a knockout. You know, um, Comey is a tough fighter. Uh, I'm a tough fighter. When you got two tough fighters going in there, you should always expect a big, big, big night of boxing and, and lights out. <laughs> and we will expect that for sure. Absolutely. We will expect that for sure. And just finally, Tio, have you got any closing words just to your UK supporters over here that will be tuning in and, of course, backing you to become the new world champion? Uh, for everybody in the UK, thank you so much for supporting. Uh, thank you for everything you guys have done and just keep supporting Teofimo because we are the future of the sport of boxing. Uh, and when we win the world title, my first world title, I can't wait to hopefully defend them in London. So I appreciate everybody and thank you so much. Okay, listen, Tio, it's always great speaking with you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for December 14th, and God willing, next time we speak, I'll be speaking to the new IBF lightweight champion of the world. <laughs> I like the sound of that. <laughs> you got it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. Ayaz, what you got? Nigel Ben has forced to cancel, call off his controversial combat fight after sustaining a shoulder injury in training. Yeah, um... You know, perhaps the shoulder injury occurred. Um, it's been alleged it happened, I think, a couple of days ago. Um, you know, it all happened seemingly very quick. I think he put out a statement the same day he injured it, which kind of made me think, well, if he injured it today, has he 
not gone and seen like has he has he already gone and seen a specialist and they've said no you definitely can't fight and he's got the results of any scans or x-rays or whatever that quickly for him to then be able to put out a statement the same day it all happened a bit quick there's obviously a rumor that they weren't doing well with, with the tickets i mean i'm not surprised some of the prices i saw were just incredible um but yeah i mean we care about nigel ben he's a legend of the sport perhaps it's a you know, it's 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 a blessing in disguise, really. We we saw just the other week how dangerous boxing can be. We got another uh, another harsh reminder, and um, you know, a guy that's been retired for twenty three years to come back is, you know, it, it may have been a good fight. It may have been a good fight. You know, it would have been interesting to see what he looked like, but you know, we're not going to get it. And I'm not too sad it's over, to be honest. I wouldn't be watching it on pay per view or going to see it. So, I mean, yeah whatever all the best to to, to to nigel ben obviously a legend of the sport is that the only piece of news yep that's the only bit of news okay moving on to the preview part of the show this one happens on saturday at the conlog arena in Koblenz. one fight to mention over here we've got leon bun a german prospect undefeated 14 and 0 it's for the ibf international light heavyweight title he takes on enrico colin Colin is a guy that boxed Arta Baturbiev for the IBF world title and Baturbiev got him out of there with about 10 seconds to go in the final 12th round and to be honest I felt like the referee should have let um, should have let it carry on because he got back up and there was only 10 seconds left in the round so he almost didn't knock Colin out so Colin goes down in my book as a real tough customer so this is a big test here for Leon Boon uh, Enrico Colin 26-3 and three, his record moving out now to the Manchester Arena in Lancashire United Kingdom obviously Josh Boatsy had to get pulled off the bill that's, that's a big blow actually to the bill because I was looking forward to his fight um... Is Martin Bacoli fighting on this? I know that he was uh, he was supposed to box on it, but obviously he uh, he fought the other week. Oh no, yeah, he is fighting on this. He takes on he takes on um, Rodney Hernandez, thirteen and eight with two draws. Hernandez only been stopped the once. It was against Effia Jagba, who we know is a is a very good fighter. The the Nigerian. Um, former Olympian, he's, uh, he's he's a promising prospect right now, so he's the only man that stopped him. But other than that, Hernandez has been around the block a little bit. He took on Joey Dewayko. He's been in he's been in there with Zilil Zhang. He's been in there with Sergei Kuzmin, Adam Kalnaki, Michael Hunter, Razvan Kajanu. All these guys he's lost to, but um, he beat Scott Alexander as well. Actually, that's a that's a good win. Um, Oh, we got a draw as well with Joey Dueco. They had two fights, a draw in the first fight and then a very close loss to Dueco in the second fight, which actually was his last fight back in July. So not a bad opponent, to be honest there, but I know he hasn't had much notice. Um, Martin Bacoli, 14-1. and one. Rodney Hernandez, 13-8 and eight with two draws. That's a 10-rounder. Kez Ashfak, 7-0, and oh, takes on Joe Ham, 16-1. and one. This is Ashfak's first kind of real step up. It's for the vacant WBA Continental Super Bantamweight title. Joe Ham, very good fighter. Um, you know, in his, in his loss to Tyron McCulloch, it was a you know it was a bad performance from him. He had McCulloch down in that fight. People forget, but he he did lose clearly. Um, you know, but other than that, he's he's not he's not a bad fighter at all, to be honest. And he will provide a test to Ashfak, who I feel of all the 2012 Olympians, I think he was part of the 20. Was he 2012 or 2016? It might. Oh, he was 2016. Of course he was. Um, he he's the guy that's that's 
just taken forever to get going. He's only had seven fights. He's he's been a pro. You know, he he, he turned pro after twenty sixteen. I think he turned pro very late. He was going to be with Haymaker, then he wasn't. I don't know what happened, but anyway, very slow his progression. Um, should be interested in there because he needs to kind of be a little bit, you know, a little bit rushed, if you like. He's only twenty six, but he needs to get going. Gamal Yafai sixteen and one. He takes on Lee Clayton ten and three over six rounds. Uh, also on the bill, we have Anthony Crawler, of course, in his farewell fight, 34-7 and seven with three draws in search of win number 35. It's for the vacant WBA Continental Lightweight title. No idea why there's a belt on the line if he doesn't plan to continue boxing. Um, he takes on Frank Ukiaga again. Bit critical. I was of him the other week. Thirteen and one with one draw in his last fight. He drew with Ivan Thomas, and Ivan Thomas just got knocked out by Devis Boschiero, the guy with the most padded record in boxing. Um, yeah, so no point in this fight. It's going to be a glorified sparring session. But all the best to Anthony Crawler. Also on the bill, and for me, probably the most, the most. Um, I was going to say attractive fight, but you're going to probably take it out of context. The, the most interesting fight, Terry Harper, 8-0. She takes on Vivian Obernauf. Now you know why I said attractive. 14-5 Vivian Obernauf. Um, 10 two-minute rounds for the IBO World Female Super Featherweight title. That should be real interesting. We'll get to see how good Terry Harper really is. Christina Linard who's now 12-1. She puts her... Um, her WBO World Female Super Lightweight title on the line against Katie Taylor, who's who's of course making a move up to 140 here. Um, Katie Taylor, obviously favoured to win. I think this is the lady who apparently cried when she got off the plane. It's for her belt, like I say, 10 two-minute rounds. Katie Taylor expected to really walk through her. Also on the bill, another brilliant fight, actually. I've seen this bill taking a lot of slack. Not quite sure why. I feel like there's a few decent fights. Felix Cash, 11-0. He puts his Commonwealth title on the line against Jack Cullen, 17-1. Jack Cullen, in his last fight, of course, beat John John Harding Jr., and he looked really good. After that, Jack Cullen's... uh, uh, his, his partner, I think, gave birth to his to his to his uh, to his kid. So, yeah, a little bit of added motivation before a big fight against Felix Cash. I quite like that fight. Jack Cullen, a good boxer, um, could be interesting. Again, a step up there for Felix Cash, in my opinion. Uh, moving out now to the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, USA. Miguel Burchelt tops the bill, thirty-six and one. He puts his WBC World Super Featherweight title on the line against former world champion, friend of the show, Jason Sosa, 23 and 3 with four draws. I tell you what, don't count Sosa out of that fight. Sosa's a good fighter, very underrated. Um, also on that bill, we got Alex Salcedo, 28 and 1 against Rod Salka, 24 and 5 over eight rounds. Um, yeah, the IBF World Super Flyweight title gets contested for. The champion, Jerwin Ancahas, 31 and 1 with two draws, takes on Jonathan Rodriguez, 21 and 1. Uh, moving out now to the MGM National Harbour in Oxon Hill, Maryland. Couple fights to mention over here. Firstly, the return of Brian Castano, 15 and 0 with one draw. Of course, the draw came to Erislandi Lara. I'm not quite sure why they haven't boxed again, but he takes on Wow Omatoso, 28 and 4 over 10 rounds. Castano, brilliant fighter. I think he beat Errol Spence in the amateurs. 
Um, he showed early on in his in his career, like I say, I think it was his 15th fight or 16th fight that he could mix it with Eris Landy Lara. I'm not quite sure what happened because he was world champion, but then he didn't lose his title in the ring. So I don't know what's going on there, but he's not a world champion anymore. Also on the bill. Two of the Gary Russell brothers. Uh, firstly, let's start with Gary Antoine Russell, 11-0. He's in a 10-rounder against Juan Huertas, who's 14-2 with one draw. Gary Antonio Russell, 15-0, takes on Samuel Gutierrez, 16-25 with six draws. They really need to step up, to be honest. They really do. Uh, also on the bill, Javier Fortuna. Good fight this, 34-2 with one draw. He takes on Jesus Cuellar, 29-3. I don't think... I don't think I've seen him box since... Did he lose? Did he get stopped by Javante Davis, I think? That's a 10-rounder there anyway. Um, and, of course, the big one, the final bill to mention. Let's start with the undercard at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Um, let's start with friend of the show, Blair Cobbs. He finally gets a big, big chance to shine here on the undercard. 12-0 Blair Cobbs with one draw. He's in a 10-rounder against Carlos Cervantes, who's 11-4. Making his debut, Evan Holyfield. Yes, it is the son of Evander. Evan Holyfield, he takes on 0-1 Nick Winstead. Um... Be interesting to see what Evan Holyfield looks like. Not not just in terms of the way he boxes, but also a picture of him. I haven't seen what he looks like. Does he look like his father? Has he got that moustache? We want to see. Uh, also on the bill, Ryan Garcia, 18-0. He gets the... Re- well, I was going to say the rematch. He gets the fight rescheduled with Romero Duno, a man that he was supposed to box a few weeks back, and he got accused of ducking him. Apparently, he didn't want to fight him. I can't remember what... What happened, there was a last-minute kind of disagreement, and uh, Garcia didn't end up fighting. It's great to see the fight rescheduled. It's for the WBO, NABO lightweight title and the vacant WBC silver lightweight title. Romero Duno, 21-1. and And top in the BYS, I'm going to come to you first, Canelo, Saul Canelo Alvarez, 52-1 and with two draws. He fights for the WBO world light heavyweight title against the reigning champion, Sergei Kovalev, 34-3 and with one draw. Talk to me, I ask. I think this is going to be a very, very good fight, right, between Kovalev and uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez. Obviously, Saul, can we know Canelo Alvarez is uh, a three-weight world champion, obviously, and he's boxing technically biggest superstar. Well, obviously, we can see that Kovalev in his last five and four yard, you can see the decline he's, he's had, obviously, due to the age as well. But, obviously, this is going to be a very tough fight, Canelo. If I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Canelo to win via points. Obviously, I can see. Um, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a very, very tough fight for Canelo. But I think Canelo will just nick it, and I think um, it'll be a points win for Canelo. Yeah, I mean, we've got weight classes in boxing, obviously, for a reason. Um, you know, you can't just you can't just go up the weights and and you know continue to be super duper impressive. You know, Canelo is obviously the smaller guy by quite a bit. Uh, we saw him move up to super middleweight only for that one fight against Rocky Fielding where Rocky Fielding didn't really throw a punch. So it's hard to read into how good Canelo is at super middleweight, let alone light heavyweight against a guy that can punch like Sergei Kovalev. So there is a load, a load, a load of intrigue in this fight. Um, having said that, I feel like Anthony Yard did perhaps expose a little bit of frailty in... Kovalev, or was that Anthony Yard just showing us all how good he's been? He's been a you know a real good kept secret of how good he really is. 
Um, it, it's, it's, it's a toss-up. I mean, I'm going to start with the with the listeners. Their pick first. Firstly, they've they've gone with Canelo by KO, 41%. They had Canelo on points, 38%. So they're really heavily favouring Canelo. Uh, Kovalev, 12% by KO and 9% on points. So, oh, it's close, but they definitely favour Canelo. So do you, I, as you're going with points. Um, I don't know, you know, because obviously... We, we know, and we've said it for a long time, Kovalev does not like those body shots. We've seen it before. We've seen um, we've seen it a few times before Andre Ward kind of showed it to us in the second fight. You know, he, he was digging in those body shots, and he couldn't deal with it, to be honest, Kovalev. Uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez, one of the best body punchers, I feel, in boxing. Not to mention he's got a brilliant chin. Yes, he hasn't been hit by Kovalev. He's been hit by Triple G, though, and he, he seems to walk through that. I think Kovalev's probably a bigger puncher than Triple G. Some people would argue that, by the way, even though he's the bigger man by 15 pounds. But um, it's a tough one. I, I think I do have to favor Canelo. I, I think I do have to favor Canelo. Um, this is... You know, this is a brilliant leap, though. This is such a legacy fight for him. If he goes and does this, and, and you know, even if he doesn't get the stoppage, even if he just wins on points, if he does this, this is such a legacy win, you know. To, to think what he's done, he is an incredible fighter. And rightly, rightly, he, he's right up there on the pound-for-pound list. Um, But, yeah, if I have to really go with it, I mean, you know, Andre Ward was the smaller man against Kovalev, but... You know, Canelo's even smaller than him. It's, it's a tough one. For me, though, I think... I think I'm going to go with Canelo to win. I think he's going to win on points. I mean, listen, I can see the... I can see a body... I can see a, a body shot finish. I can see... I can see Canelo knocking him out. If he knocks him out, it's going to be with a body shot. But I just think Kovalev... You know, this is going to be the smallest guy he's boxed... Possibly since being professional. But... You know, he, he's probably the most skillful guy as well. Him and him and Andre Ward. <laughs> it's a toss-up there. But yeah, you know, has Canelo got the skills to kind of throw away the, 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 the size difference? Has he got the skills to still be able to compete with Sergei Kovalev? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. That's why I think he wins on points. He certainly can outwork him, but it, it will be interested. If he gets nailed right on the chin, will he be able to take that? He took Golovkin's. Will he be able to take the big right hand from Kovalev? It's yet to be seen. It's a brilliant fight. Uh, we've been We've been spoiled a little bit in recent weeks actually for big fights um but yeah i'm gonna keep it short and sweet i'm gonna go with canelo points eyes so i'm going with you on that one um that is everything though for the preview part of the show just before we wrap up everything the final thing of course is to in fact there's two two little predictions i should mention this one actually came in from luigi pelosi he says no way Kovalev beats Canelo. This is probably not that popular an opinion, but Canelo is easily top three pound for pound and on his way to becoming an all-time great. I tell you what, if that is an unpopular opinion, then I don't know. I don't know, because for me, I agree with every single word you've said there, Luigi. This one, of course, comes in from Ben Molyneux. Um, good guy, Ben Molyneux. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's been a recipient of a Box Hard podcast t-shirt, and he wears it. He wears it around. He wears it to the weigh-ins. He's got a lovely selfie with Johnny Nelson wearing the Box Hard top. Shout-out to Ben Molyneux. Big shout-out. He says Canelo by, by, by seventh-round 
KO. Kovalev has a lovely jab and is the bigger, taller man, but once he feels a punch to the guts, he'll be in survival mode. Ooh, he goes with a Canelo KO. So yes, part of the, 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 the gang of people that voted for the for the KO. So Ben Molyneux, happy with the listeners' final uh, final poll prediction. But that is everything, though, for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap up part two and finally end the show, the last thing, of course, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated interim WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Brandon Figueroa. Brandon, welcome back on the show, my friend. Uh, thank you for having me once again. Hey, it's my pleasure, my friend. So we last spoke back in uh, back in April. It was just after the Parejo win. Of course, since then, you've had the one fight against Javier Chacon back in August. Uh, you stopped him in four rounds. I mean, quicker than the likes of Isaac Dogbay, big puncher. Also, the likes of Jamie McDonald, British fighter from over here. Um, talk us through the fight. Another, another real impressive win for you once again, Brandon. Uh, yes, sir. You know, I know he underestimated me from the beginning. You know, uh, I look like a little boy, but once once I get in that ring, I turn into a you know a, a different type of uh, fighter and a different type of uh, you know as I like to say human, and I like to get in my zone. And uh, once I connected him with the left hook, I know he found my power, and that's when he was uh, you know backing up, trying to hide in his little shell. But you know, once I saw that he wasn't throwing anything, once I saw that he wasn't trying to fight me that's when I decided to go in there and rough him up and I did and I ended up knocking him out like I say another fantastic fantastic performance from yourself now I know that your older brother to to some degree is a bit of a mentor of yours someone to look up to however of course he he just suffered his first loss at the hands of your Dennis Ugas Um, what did you make of that fight there and even though he lost the fight it wasn't you who lost it is there anything that you can perhaps learn from his loss Oh uh, yes, sir. Of course, you know the mistakes did during training camp. Uh, you know, just uh, the way he handles himself as a boxer outside of the ring. Uh, I mean, I definitely learned a lot seeing, uh, you know, living with him throughout his uh, career. But definitely, you know, I, I know this loss taught him a lesson, and it taught me a lesson for sure, of course. And you know, it it motivated me more than anything. Uh, you know, I told him, hey, brother, you know that's your fault. You know, uh, pick up your slack. Uh, stop messing around and get back to work. You know, that's, that's the, the advice I told him after his loss. And, you know, because in, in, in my family, there's no such thing as pity, you know. We're, we're hard on each other, and, you know, that's, that's the way we were raised. So, you know, we told him, hey, pick it up where you left off and, you know, keep fighting, keep going forward, and don't give up. And, um, obviously, you know, he's a good friend of this show. How is he doing? Is he, is he in good spirits at the minute? Uh, yes, of course. You know, right now he's... Uh, taking care of his personal life, building a house in Mexico, and, uh, you know, just taking time off, uh, remodeling his house, doing stuff like that, spending time with his kids. So, you know, he's, he's in good spirits. I know he decided to fight uh, next year, but right now I know he's uh, taking care of uh, his personal life, business, uh, outside of boxing. So, you know, uh, I know when, when he's ready, he's going he's gonna to be ready. And of course, your next fight has now been announced. It takes place on November 23rd on the undercard of Wilder vs. Ortiz, the rematch in Las Vegas. You'll box Julio Cesar. Um, what do you know about your opponent? This is a tough, tough fight. Uh, yes, sir, of course. You know, this, this guy is Mexican. Uh, he comes to fight. He comes to brawl. Uh, you know, you saw the fight against uh, uh, Guillermo Rigondao. He was winning the rounds that, you know, before he got knocked out. You know, so he's a, he's a strong fighter. He's a, he's a really well-conditioned fighter. I know it's going to uh, make me into a better fighter as well. 
I know I'm going to go into the fight 110%. I'm ready. And, you know, it's, it's probably one of the biggest tests of, of my career. You know, every fight is, is a step up. And, uh, you know, I have to prove myself not only uh, to the fans, but more to myself. I have to uh, prove to myself that I belong in, in, in the, that world-class level and, and belong fighting these great warriors and these great fighters like Julio Ceja. So, you know, definitely I can't wait. I can't wait to to prove to the world, and not only that, but prove more, most likely to myself. And you're right there, you know, Seha, in his last fight, obviously, uh, you know, he got stopped by Rigondo, but he was winning, you know, winning the fight on all three judges' scorecards, and quite frankly, Rigondo never, you know, he's never really been in a, in a position, aside from the Lomachenko loss, where he's been losing in a fight, you know, so th- this guy is obviously a big step up for yourself, and also a real big puncher, 28 KOs from 32 wins, so this one should should be a brilliant fight. Um, his nickname, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, is, is Polito, which, which I believe translates, is it, does it translate to the little chicken? Now, I'm not Mexican. But why would anyone? Yeah. Why would anyone, especially in boxing, want to be called a little chicken, Brandon? Can you tell me? <laughs> uh, when mostly in Mexico, you know, they they give uh, that nickname pollo, you know, which is is just like pollo, a chicken is just like it's it's a nickname, and maybe I don't know, maybe because they've been calling him since he was small, he probably got the name pollito, which which kind of means little chicken. So it's probably a nickname that his family gave him when he was small or something, because you know I I grew up in Mexican household and Mexican family where you know they give you weird nicknames that you're like what but you know uh definitely yeah it's just probably, I'm pretty sure it's a nickname that he got from when he was small or something <laughs> absolutely and obviously you know you're expecting to win this fight and then that would mean by the end of 2019 you'd have had a real successful and impressive 12 month spree um do you anticipate 2020 being an even bigger year for yourself though because this year's been brilliant oh Oh, yes, of course. I think 2020 is going to be, you know, catapult me to that world-class level. If this fight doesn't do so, I, I believe 2020 is going to be, I don't know, it's going to, it's going to, a lot of changes are going to happen. Um, you know, on, uh, just winning this fight is going to catapult me to, you know, world champion. And, you know, I can only just imagine what the plans for me for 2020 are. And, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait. I know it's a big undercard under pay-per-view. You know, actually, when when... Pacquiao fought Thurman there at the MG in Grand. I told myself, damn, uh, I wonder when I'm going to fight here, you know? And you look, you know, just two more fights down in my career, and I'm fighting their pay-per-view under a big, big card like Water. And it's just amazing, you know, how God blesses you in many ways. So I'm really grateful and I'm really appreciative, uh, not only to God, but for my team and all him and PBC, you know, everyone that made this possible for me. And again, you you talk about being catapulted into that kind of championship level. Obviously, the champions right now. You've got Daniel Roman who holds two belts. You've got Emmanuel Navarrete who's who just looks huge for the weight. Um, and obviously, Ray Vargas, a guy that's held the belts. I believe he's the longest reigning champion at the weight. Which of those three guys, Brandon, do you look at and think, "Hey, I want to fight you. I want to fight you soon." Uh, all of them, you know, all of them. Is, is it's uh. If everything comes out good this fight, everything, you know, for next year comes out good. Uh, my manager, my management, which is all him, and he decides, hey, I'm ready because I'm, I'm ready. I, I believe this fight, you know, I've I got, I got a lot to prove, and I'm going to prove it. And, you know, after this fight, I'm, I'm ready for any task, any fighter. And, you know, I'm, I'm confident in myself. I believe in my skills. And, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to start taking those titles away and, you know, 
elevate me to, you know, three-time world champion or conquer the whole division, you know, if that's what, uh, um, what God wants me to do. So, yes, sir, I'm ready and I can't wait. And just coming down to the last couple things now here, Brandon, um, I'm asking this question to everyone right now. Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz Jr. The rematch takes place December 7th in Saudi Arabia. Repeat or revenge? How do you see it? I feel like it's going to be a really, really good fight. Uh, I think Ruiz, is not, if he's not going to knock him down in, in the early rounds, he would definitely finish him in the later rounds. So definitely a Ruiz win for you. So repeat. Yes, sir. Repeat. Okay, and just finally, Brandon, if you've got a last message just to our to our you know to our listeners that support you over here that are pulling for you to get the job done on uh, November twenty third, what's your what's your message to your supporters from this side of the pond? A uh, message, you know, is just to uh, don't doubt me. You know, I know I'm a, I'm a young kid, twenty two years old. Uh, all the other champion fighters in my ranks are either twenty eight or twenty seven. But don't under, don't underestimate me. I know a bunch of my opponents underestimate me until they feel my power and until they feel my punch. But uh, you know, I, I work hard, and you know, I can't wait to to represent uh, you know uh, all my fans and represent my my country. Represent you know just anyone that that, that believes in me and believes in, in in a young kid like me that works hard. So I don't know. I'm just excited. I'm very excited to to come forward to this fight. I'm working really really hard. I know who you're saying like, an easy task. And an easy fighter. None of my fights have been easy, but you know this is what boxing is, and I can't wait to go out there and give it my all. Absolutely. Listen, Brandon, it is always great speaking with you, sir. Best of luck for November twenty third in Las Vegas, and we shall catch up. I'm sure sometime after. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 211 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show. Of course, the undefeated IBF number one ranked lightweight in the world, Tiafimo Lopez, and the undefeated interim WBA super bantamweight world champion, Brandon Figueroa. From the predictions last week, we each gained three points. We all backed uh, Lee Selby to beat Ricky Burns on points. We all backed Chisora to knock out David Price. Um, I picked Stevenson on points, and you both wrongly picked Stevenson by KO. And you, the listeners, and I as also backed Taylor to win on points. Yet yeah, I backed Progray to get the knockout. So we all gained three points. The scores pretty much stay the same in terms of the gap. Another point, of course, is up for grabs this weekend with the Canelo Kovalev fight. So best of luck with that. Uh, there is one piece of news to mention, and that is that the former unified bantamweight world champion Ryan Burnett has been forced to retire from boxing. Um, I'm not sure why, because I don't really know the guy, but it hit me really hard finding that out. You know, to 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 think, you know, how promising he was, how quick he won a world title, how quick he unified. Obviously, his only loss came to Nonito Donaire in a fight where a freak injury occurred. He literally lost due to that injury. Uh, you know, I think he was winning the fight. He did come back after that. He had one more fight in which he won by KO, but you know, he just injured himself again from what I've heard in training and stuff like that and decided to retire so I'm gutted for him and I hope he made enough money you know to to at least have something to show you know from what he put into boxing he obviously put his body through hell I think he he got a house I'm not sure if he paid it off or not I really hope he did because he's a he he seems like a real nice guy Ryan Burnett and um, it's just such a sad sad story I spoke to Nonito Donaire the other day just briefly and I, I told him I informed him of the news and he said that is shocking I can't believe it 
Um, so yeah, all the best to Ryan Burnett in his retirement. I would love to get him on the show. Hopefully we can get that done at some point. But yeah, you know, he retires with a record of 20 and one. He can certainly be proud of what he achieved in such a, such a quick career. He, he was, he was excellent, Ryan Burnett. I'm absolutely guided for him, but that is about everything. If you've listened to this podcast this far, if you're still listening to me right now, then I just want to thank everyone so much for doing so. We are really appreciative of the views that we get. And to prove that, the first person to DM me on Twitter at Box Hard Podcast will get a Box Hard Podcast t-shirt in whichever size they want. But that is everything. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.